Good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I'm going to talk briefly about governance and policy choice in Ghana, uh, because many of us know that policy choices don't just emerge in a vacuum. And we were very much interested in what are the political and institutional conditions that either facilitate or stymie governments from choosing policies that are conducive to agriculture and economic transformation. Now, Ghana is well known, as Peter alluded to, for being a very strong democracy. It's had seven rounds of competitive multi-party elections. And there's a great body of scholarship that shows that democracies tend to be associated with more pro-poor investments um, in education, in health, in general social welfare. And we've definitely seen that in the Ghanaian case. Um, huge reductions in poverty, um, impressive increases in literacy rates, uh, impressive increases in life expectancy. But for transformation, you need more activist policies by the government to address key market failures that affect the private sector. Um, so in Hausman and colleagues' ter terminology, you need uh, the government to help with self-discovery externalities, basically helping the private sector identify new products that could be profitable. Engaging and dealing with coordination externalities, a lot of the issues Sashi just mentioned, um, helping with simultaneous, simultaneous investments up and downstream, um, and dealing with the fact you know, that the private sector often has to deal with lumpy investments um, along the value chain. And providing some of those missing inputs, providing quality control, providing uh, underlying seed legislation, fertilizer legislation, and other forms of infrastructure. And so a lot of the experience from developmental state uh, scholarship has shown that you need at least three key uh, variables um, in order to facilitate a state that can address some of these market failures. You need first this type of long-term political commitment, so not just policies that are tied to one political administration that, but go beyond um, the administration because you need to create some type of credibility for the private sector um, that they're not going to have to engage in very risky investments in in a volatile policy environment that'll change when the next uh, administration comes in. You need a strong bureaucracy or public sector that can help with proper implementation of policies and oversight. And then you need some mechani mechanisms for state business coordination, uh, the ability for the business sector to actually communicate to the government what are the market failures that need to be addressed. And unfortunately, in the Ghanaian case, um, over the last 20 years or so, you've had weaknesses in all three of these areas. Um, commitment to policy has largely been driven by the electoral cycle, and Ghana is seen as the example par excellence of being victim to the political budget cycle, essentially where deficit spending is tied to elections. Um, and so you can see from the green line, uh, sorry, the blue line here, um, that this trend has been even more pronounced the last two elections. Um, it's often been mirrored by what you see in the green line, which is a decline in fiscal governance as well, as judged by the uh, CPIA ratings. And it's not just that Ghana is a democracy, it's actually, it's actually Africa's only two-party democracy. Very competitive system, elections are extremely close. Um, and so you have parties actually trying to outspend each other just to grab those marginal voters, and particularly the incumbent party. And so you see a tendency to large visible projects, um, like the previous administration's fertilizer subsidy scheme, um, subsidized mechanization through their AMSEC scheme, the presidential special initiative scheme under the KUFAR regime. And you also see the trend that Sashi talked about, about this heavy investment in the cocoa sector. Um, the cocoa farmers and the cocoa industry is a very important political player, um, and they need to be catered to um, in the uh, political process. 
Secondly, public sector capacity continues to remain weak. Um, as Peter alluded to, Ghana has been one of the more successful implementers of structural adjustment uh, policies. It's liberalized much of its economy, but has given less attention to public sector institutional reform. Um, and you can see here over the last decade or so, based on the Mo-Ibrahim governance indicators, that public sector management is its worst component of governance, vis-a-vis, -vis, of course, rule of law or participation in human rights. This means there's been low capacity to implement a lot of policies, um, low, low oversight of projects, and a lack of M&E. So things like the Ghana Fertilizer Program, there was no M&E of that program. Who was targeted, who benefited was not known. Um, and an inability to anticipate threats or opportunities. So uh, the loss of the kind of pineapple sector that Sashi alluded to, um, which happened when Costa Rica came on board with this MD2 pineapple, um, was not foreseen uh, by the Ghanaian government, hadn't thought about how do we stay competitive with this important horticultural product. And some of this has been exacerbated since 2012 when the government devolved a lot of agricultural functions, particularly extension to the um, local government, which are severely under-resourced already. And then finally, state business coordination has been historically quite weak. Um, under the Rawlings regime, there was a lot of distrust of the private sector, which was seen as being a funder for the opposition. Um, you have relatively weak business associations vis-a-vis -vis, um, many of the associ associations you see in East and Southern Africa. Um, so initiatives like the presidential special initiatives under the Kufor regime um, were very much led by a political coterie um, within the uh, ruling party at that time rather than actually working with the private sector to see how can you um, advance development in the different value chains uh, that program was trying to target. You can see here that credit for the private sector vis-a-vis uh, -vis GDP, GDP is relatively low compared to not just emerging market economies but a variety of other low and middle income African countries. And pretty notably, Ghana has one of the worst ratings on the Enabling Business of Agriculture Index uh, for Africa, um, having quite substandard legal and regulatory environment for things such as seed, fertilizer, um, transport, and machinery. Now, the current government uh, has really put agriculture at the center of its agenda and has done some impressive things. Um, one is it's revised its seed policy law after a number of years. Um, through its planning for export and rural development, they're trying to develop non-cocoa um, tree crop value chains. But you still see this tendency towards high-profile projects that are very much targeted more towards winning votes than addressing market failures. Um, so planting for food and jobs, that's another input subsidy program, though this time not just fertilizer but also seed. Um, but we also have this One District, One Factory program, uh, One Village, One Dam program. And with some of these programs, you have a number of inconsistencies. Um, for example, uh, the devolution to local government um, has exacerbated this capacity constraint because more districts have been created, um, which is often seen as a way of uh, another kind of a political tactic of creating districts for citizens. Um, so now you have 254 districts that's been created that's kind of reduced the amount of resources even further available to district assemblies. So I've just put one picture up there um, from a visit to one district assembly which had received 24 motorbikes for ag extension agents from the Canadian donors. Um, but they couldn't be used because the assembly doesn't have any money for licenses or for fuel. So they're just sitting idle in the assembly building. So to conclude, what does this mean from, from the entire book? Um, we clearly 
um, would be advancing many of the policy recommendations um, that are needed to get agricultural growth going, uh, particularly, of course, more investments in ag R&D, extension, value chain coordination is really important. But we need to be quite cognizant of how these recommendations correspond to existing capacity constraints and other types of political incentives. So one option we, we advanced towards the end of the book is looking at more uh, first mover strategies that focus on some of the crops Sashi was alluding to non-traditional export crops or priority food staples that compete with imports, focusing on just a few, not the variety um, that some of these programs I alluded to do, um, but thinking about economies of scale and some type of spatial concentration through agroclusters or agroindustrial parks, um, but committing, committing to the long term, not backtracking when there's a problem, uh, trying to engage in some um, some problem solving, and in that way, helping the pub public sector advance its capacity through learning by doing, learning from mistakes over time, and perhaps having some small uh, wins uh, in terms of showing success that can be scaled up for political purposes to show the government um, is effectively addressing agricultural transformation. So I'll leave it there and turn back to Peter.